Well, in a moment, I'm going to read some of the most important words that were ever recorded. An announcement, one that transformed human history, one that has the potential to transform your life. It's recorded in an ancient account of Jesus' life, one that was penned by a former Roman tax collector who began his life the way we all begin our lives, without Jesus or the knowledge of Jesus. His name was Matthew. And the announcement that he recorded is embedded in his account of Jesus' life in the 28th chapter, the 5th and 6th verses. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. He has risen, just as he said. Seven words that changed the world. And they changed the world because they're good news, not fake news. <laughs> the news that Jesus can reverse the things that we thought were irreversible. Before we consider them, please join your hearts with mine in prayer. Father, this weekend I pray for fresh anointing from your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And I pray that all of us would hear what the Spirit of God is saying to our hearts this moment. And I pray that in the name of the living Christ. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together, may the Lord be with you. This weekend, people all over the world, including many of our friends who are planning a church in Homestead, are going to gather together in Jesus' name. And as they do, the announcement that Matthew recorded will be celebrated as an eternal game changer. The good news that our greatest enemies, sin and death, have been conquered. And as a result, all of our other enemies are living on borrowed time. But in other places, in the hearts and in the minds of the unbelieving majority in this world, Matthew's account will be ridiculed. It will be scorned as fake news. It will be portrayed as a ridiculous, impossible myth. It will be castigated as a cruel hoax that often defeats humanity's best efforts at progress. And those who take that unfortunate position often check the same boxes on the now threadbare list of allegations against the resurrection. They suggest that the women and the gospel writers who recorded the resurrection announcement simply weren't credible witnesses. They suggest that the women were uneducated, gullible, deeply emotional, and deeply troubled. 
They suggest that was a recipe for what we call emotional projection, for hallucination. They contend that Jesus' male followers were equally gullible, and they were highly desperate, discouraged, and devastated. So in an effort at damage control, they spun the women's hallucination into a false narrative. They did so for the purpose of salvaging their damage credibility and prolonging their newfound religious standing and even, some would suggest, the potential for income. But I'm here to tell you those allegations simply don't hold water. You see, the women weren't projecting their thoughts of resurrection because when the women came to the tomb, they weren't thinking thoughts of resurrection. They came to minister to Jesus' hastily buried body. They did not come expecting a resurrection. They did not come to celebrate a resurrection. And when the angel announced it, they weren't comforted and affirmed by the announcement. They were shocked and frightened. In similar fashion, Jesus' male disciples were skeptical at the news. They rejected the women's report. The empty tomb subsequently convinced them Jesus wasn't there, but it didn't convince them that he had rose from the dead. The truth is, some of them still doubted even after Jesus made a personal appearance to them. And he subsequently scolded them for their stubborn unbelief. People in Jesus' day were no more gullible than we are today. They were just as skeptical of resurrection because human history had never seen one. As for the conspiracy theory, well, that would have required men who were capable of keeping up an unbroken front of confidence. But the disciples' own narratives about themselves picture them doubting, fearful, and cowering in locked rooms behind closed doors. And con men don't record their cowardice. And they certainly would not endure torture and martyrdom to defend a lie of their own making. But the majority of them were martyred and accepted that rather than deny what they had proclaimed. You see, to have any reasonable hope of acceptance, fake news has to be crafted to fit the prevailing culture. And in Matthew's day, fake news would never have shown women as the first witnesses of the resurrection. Because in that culture, women weren't even allowed to testify in court. Their witness, even if they witnessed a crime, would not be accepted in a court of law. So somebody attempting to build a case for resurrection would have made the first witnesses men. Furthermore, a false narrative would have been airtight in the smallest of details. I would remind you, the Gospels were written years after Jesus' resurrection. So the fellows who wrote them had ample opportunity to compare notes, to confer with one another, and make sure that they had their story straight. They would have produced a tidy 
consistent account. But if you've read the Gospels, they aren't tidy. They leave us with questions like, were there two white-clad figures at Jesus' tomb or one? Why did Mary think Jesus was the gardener? Was Mary alone? Now, there are credible answers to those questions. All I'm saying is, given time to compare notes, men carrying out a conspiracy wouldn't have left any questions. They would have made sure their stories jived with one another. Furthermore, to attract followers, fake news would have made Jesus' post-resurrection appearances dramatic and compelling. But the Gospels portray them as quiet and ordinary. No fireworks. No miracles. No impressive displays of supernatural power. No revenge tour. Just meals and walks and conversations with his followers. Jesus didn't show up at Pilate's house just to see his reaction. (laughs) Jesus didn't show up at the temple looking for the high priest to see his reaction. Jesus didn't seek out the Roman centurions who had beaten him and crucified him to present himself whole and alive. No, he just quietly appeared to his disciples. If you were going to make a fake news account to gain a following, wouldn't you have Jesus kicking butt and taking names? (laughs) All that to say that the evidence simply doesn't support the allegations. That the disciples and the women were unsophisticated and gullible or that the disciples were conspirators. The allegations fail. They don't hold water because they aren't rooted in facts. They're rooted in unbelief. Now before moving on, I would also offer that good news shows itself to be good news by the results that it produces over time in the lives of those who believe it. And fake news shows itself fake by that same benchmark. And countless lives, millions of lives, from vastly different cultures, vastly different periods of human history, over 21 centuries have testified to being liberated and restored by the gospel. No other news can make that claim. About the only claim that atheism can make is that in the 20th century alone, it resulted in the murder of over 100 million human beings around the world. So the evidence clearly indicates that the declaration Matthew reported is good news. It is not fake news. And as such, it assures us That having reversed what appeared to be irreversible, death itself, Jesus is capable of reversing what appears to be irreversible in our lives. Let me give you some examples. He can reverse the effects of hollow materialism. He can replace the chronic emptiness of pursuing and possessing stuff with the constant satisfaction of pursuing and possessing the stuff that really matters. 
He can reverse the momentum of misappropriated sexuality. He can replace the insecurity that seeks worth and affirmation in casual intercourse with the soul security that finds worth in a covenant intimacy with him and then returns sexuality to its proper place as servant rather than master. He can reverse the painful legacy of abuse that fractures far too many souls and makes people prisoners in their own skin. He can replace it with the powerful legacy of truth that restores the soul and makes former victims healed ambassadors of hope to those who are still imprisoned. He can reverse the paralyzing fear of rejection, replacing it with the powerful assurance of un conditional love and acceptance. He can reverse the suffocating grip of addiction and desperation and replace it with the sustaining grace of abundance and devotion. He can reverse the relentless demands of unrelenting anger, replacing it with the relentless invitations of unrelenting peace. And he can reverse the self destructive impulses of hate that are destroying our society, replacing them with the self-liberating impulses of holiness. The list is endless. It includes any and every seemingly irreversible spiritual problem you have ever encountered and you will ever encounter in your life. He can reverse the irreversible. Now getting back to those women, and the disciples. Their initial disbelief reminds us that at first hearing, the good news of God's ability to reverse the irreversible may not sound so good. You see, we find it hard to believe that our old habits can be broken. We find it hard to believe that God can actually change us that our old wounds can be healed, that our old negative momentum can suddenly be reversed. We're afraid if we try and fail, the disappointment will be more than we can handle. We're afraid that God might turn us away. We fear that in losing our old lifestyle, we may somehow lose our identity. We tell ourselves, my old life may be disappointing, but it's familiar, it's predictable, I know what to expect. See, the reality is, in the resurrection, God gave us a new map. And we often focus more energy on arguing with it than following it. Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection weekend is a time of hope and promise. What God did in a graveyard centuries ago, God wants to do for you today. He wants to reverse the irreversible no matter what form it has taken. He wants to do it just as he said. And the only thing he's waiting for is your response. 
Because as I like to remind you, God is a perfect gentleman. Nobody ever had to take out a protection from abuse order against Jesus. He doesn't kick in doors. He knocks. He doesn't assault you. He knocks. He doesn't rape your spirit. He knocks. He simply requests the opportunity to show you what he can do. If you've never given him that chance, I would suggest by now you've probably given the world enough opportunity to show what it could do. How's that working for you? How's that working for you? God is eager to show you he can reverse the irreversible, that the good news is not fake news. So we're going to give you opportunity to do that today because the reality is none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. None of us. So I'd like to ask you all to take a posture of prayer so that you can focus. If you're already a believer, please pray that men and women, young people and children in this room who haven't yet come to Jesus would do so in these next few moments. Pray like their lives depend on it, because they do. And if you're with us today, and whether you've heard the gospel a thousand times, or this is the first time you're hearing a portion of it, if the Spirit of God has tugged at your heart, and you know your Creator wants to form a bond with you that will change your life, if you know that you've never asked Christ to save you, and if you haven't, he hasn't, because he awaits your invitation. And if you feel you're ready, press through the fear, it's inevitable. Press through the doubts, they're inevitable. And take Jesus at his word. He said, I am the Son of God. Everything I've said is true. I'll prove it by the resurrection. He proved it by the resurrection. Take him at his word. And in the quietness of your heart, where he hears your every thought, call upon him. I'd suggest a, a prayer something like this. Nothing magical about the words. But just say, Lord Jesus, I've never received you into my life. I've tried to live entirely on my own. But I find something missing. There's an emptiness I cannot fill. I believe that's the place where I need Jesus. Believing he died and rose again that I could be restored. I take him now as my Savior and my Lord. Jesus, I trust you for my restoration and for my eternal life. And as you save me, I will confess you before others and never be ashamed. Father, I want to pray for those who have reached out to Christ in this service. Heaven is rejoicing. Your word tells us that. There is a party going on right now because of those who have asked Jesus to save them. That's what he came for. 
That's what his cross and resurrection were all about. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would seal to their hearts the decision they've made. I pray that you would help them to find a place where your word is taught, be it here or elsewhere. We leave that up to you. I pray that you would help them to grow in their faith and be contagious carriers of the good news. And we thank you for making our transformation possible. Death has lost its sting. We're not living in fear of the undertaker. We're living in anticipation of the upper taker. We're waiting for Jesus. We know that one day we'll lay this body aside. That's okay, it's wearing out. But our spirits will be immediately with the Lord and then one day our bodies will be resurrected to never again know aging, death, injury, illness, sickness, decay, weakness, and fatigue. All of this because of the good news, not the fake news. Father, we bless you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed, there is a card. It looks like this in the, back of, in the back of the seat ahead of you. And you can indicate there that you committed your life to Jesus or that you deepened your commitment to Christ. And then you can give us your name. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine as well. But if you did either one of those things, we'd like to know. And if you'd like to get involved in things that will help you to grow your faith, options are listed there. And again, if you give us your contact information, we'll be right back to you. There is a free book available for you at both visitor centers, A Case for Easter by the well-known writer Lee Strobel. If you pray to receive Jesus, there's a packet for you called The Map, just some helpful information to help you get started. And then information about ACAC. If you want to kick the tires and look us over a little bit, that information is there. One final word about fake news in the interest of full disclosure. In the case of Jesus' resurrection, there was fake news, but it wasn't generated by the disciples. It was generated by Israel's religious leaders. Fearful of losing their grip on the people, they paid the soldiers who had guarded Jesus' tomb to tweet the ridiculous story that a handful of terrified disciples who hours earlier had fled and denied Jesus risked certain death to move a huge stone and steal away Jesus' body and managed to do it so quietly that they didn't awaken the soldiers, but the soldiers who weren't awakened were able to make a positive identification of the perpetrators. <laughs> and let that be a reminder. When you reject the good news of the gospel, you don't believe in nothing. You'll believe in anything. How much better to believe in Him. God bless you.